And then there's another kind of listening that's possible, which is to get quiet and, and to not know, to being the, in the unknown, to be open and available to whatever comes with a willingness there. There's a, a Hebrew word that I'm really loving these days. It's called hineni, and it means I am available. I am here. Here I am. And that's, that's like, and that's it. You're, you're empty and available to what wants to come through. And I, um, I love that deep listening. I mean, we can, that can be our practice in life, our way of living life. Welcome back to the Sounds of Sand. My name is Michael Riley. Today, I'm in conversation with Dr. Gail Brenner. And Gail is a licensed psychologist and trauma specialist with over 30 years of experience, offering individual sessions and group workshops. And her work as a therapist and teacher invites people to shed attachment to false identities, return to essential wholeness, and realize the truth of who they are. And it's a really beautiful conversation, and we touch into many of these topics, including false identities and trauma, but also listening and silence, meditation, the importance of community and healing in community, and much more. So... Let's get right into it today on The Sounds of Sand presented by Science and Non-Duality. Welcome to Science and Non-Duality. What is non-duality? The universal forces. It's the collective conscious being aware. Trauma is not the external event that happens. Trauma is the impact of that event, which is the disconnection from ourselves. That matter is energy. Energy is matter. That's what EMC squared is about. There's a language without nouns. There is a language without subjugation. There's a language without objectifying. But if it's recorded, then we there is a collapse. But if it's not, then it's the infinite potentiality. Well, welcome, Gail, to Sounds of Sand. Thank you so much for making time to speak with me and to, to share with the sand community again. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Okay, so in preparing for the conversation today, I've been reading a lot of your writings and watching your videos, and I can sense a, a very deep lived experience in what you teach. So um, if you're comfortable, would you mind sharing some of your, your history and what kind of brought you to where you are today and what you share and what you offer in your work? So the beginning of my path started with what I would call my personal suffering. I was just unhappy for a lot of my life in the first few decades and uh, was really motivated to figure out like, what is this suffering about? And that something in me just knew there was this possibility of being happier. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it would take to get there, but I was very curious about that uh, and just kept going. So I had many years of psychotherapy in my 20s and 30s and from where I sit now, I don't feel like that did a lot to actually help me. It What it did is it kept propelling me on my path. But it, things didn't really start shifting for me until I began meditating. And I was on a one of my very first meditation retreats and realized as I was watching my experience how much negativity there was in my thoughts and 
uh, like judgments about other people, judgments about myself, just like this constant stream of negative thinking and feelings that were going with that, emotions. And I hadn't realized that that was the case for me at all. So it was really illuminating for me to be able to recognize that there was, um, that my inner experience is what needed my attention, that uh, so it was a it was a profound moment of like this U-turn of my attention inward to start exploring um, my own inner experience. So that was one big turning point for me. And then eventually there were twists and turns on the path, and I discovered the non-dual teaching. And uh, as soon as I was exposed to it, just something lit up in me completely and I was just on fire. And I was going to teachers and I was um, just like, I had deep questions about the nature of reality that actually weren't being answered in the Buddhist community. So I, uh, I just kept going. And when I found the non-dual teaching, I was like, ah, oh, this feels like a home to me. Um, so I, I've been in that um, community, just you know, in love with that teaching for a long time now, and um, you know, eventually I had always had a desire or a knowing, I would say, to write a book. It, it was on my radar for a very long, like twenty years, and then finally, this the movement came, like it was the right time. So I sat down and I started writing, and that was the time when blogging first started, and I started publishing a blog. Um, and then one thing led to another and three books later and, um, uh, just still absolutely loving this teaching. And, and now the fire for me is the living of it. So as you said in the beginning, like, I don't see any use in knowing it or even, you know, wonderful spiritual experiences. That's great, but we're humans and we live human lives and bringing that teaching into the uh, practical daily living of it is the thing that's that I'm really passionate about these days. Mm, beautiful, yeah. So much of what you said resonates with me and actually my own my own path with Buddhism and non-duality. And uh, there's two words in what you said that I'm curious to talk about more. And one is illumination. So I love this word because it seems. Um, it seems opposite of what you would think. You know, we're closing our eyes and we're getting quiet and there's a darkness, but in that darkness, the illumination happens. And then, as you said, you saw your suffering so much clearly in that silence and that stillness of meditation. Exactly, yeah. And that's so beautiful. It's the quiet of it, you know, the silence, the sitting. You know, first you're taught to observe your experience, you know, the objects of your experience, like thoughts, feelings, and bodily sensations. And just just being there in silence and watching that array, very illuminating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And the second word you mentioned is, is suffering. And um, you know, I know your book, uh, Suffering is Optional, a book that you're very well known for. Um, and there's something, like you said, about the lived experience that there's a universality of suffering. You know, it's the first noble truth of Buddhism that there is a nature. It's just the, the quality of existence is, uh, you know, as, as the Buddha in, in the Pali word, dukkha of, of unpleasantness. And uh, so... If you wouldn't mind, could you speak a little bit more about your teaching and your, your work with the nature of suffering and, and how people can uh, find universality and commonality and community 
in that reality? So it's about the relationship that we have to our experience. So we all experience emotions, let's say sadness for an example. And if there's an emotion like sadness and then a story around it, like why you feel sad, um, that's, if we really untangle that, that's the relationship that we have with that inner experience. So the inner experience of sadness or any emotion is uh, some kind of bodily um, pattern of sensations or energies that happen along with a story of why, uh, why we're having those sensations or what story goes along with that particular set of sensations. And that's what we call an emotion. And if we're believing the story and we're cycling that around and then trying to figure out how to solve it and trying to figure out how to get rid of this feeling, which is a lot of what people do, there's a resistance to it, that's a certain kind of relationship that we have with that direct experience of the emotion. So that's where the suffering is, and that's also where the possibility of freedom from suffering is. Because when we're lost in our story, we're going to keep feeling the emotion more and more. It's just a very reinforcing kind of pattern. But if we step out of that whole system and we get, be, begin to observe and open to and get curious about, like, what is my direct experience right now? without necessarily believing the story or just kind of putting that aside for a second, not to get rid of it, but just to, to give, give us a chance to see like what is here directly. And then we might experience like a lot of energy in the body or some areas of frozenness or heaviness or whatever it is. And then we can observe those, first observe and then ultimately just be with those uh, sensations and, and um, uh, parts of the body and the sensations that arise and just be with them in a loving, welcoming, deeply accepting way. And that's a whole different kind of relationship that we have with that same direct experience. And um, from my own experience and people that I work with, that seems to um, minimize the suffering and open the possibility for freedom. So it's like once you can feel into what it is that you think is causing the suffering, the intensity of it drops away a bit. Is that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying, but I always um, invite people to check it out and not take my word for it because the only way it has any value is if you know this in your own experience. But yes, the, the less we... Uh, give our attention to the stories in the mind and we lose interest in them and we just, you know, the victim story or the I'm not good enough story or, you know, we have, you know, our own greatest hits um, and I have mine as well. And, you know, just to recognize like, uh, and even to know that's a story, that's a thought pattern, that is, uh, that's mental, it's a mental construction. And then we can look at like, what is a thought pattern? What's a thought? What are words? What is language? And it's all constructed. We have, you know, meaning and it's, it's a way that we communicate, but it's also a way of contracting around our direct experience. And so what I notice is the, that things really open when we let go of the, the description or the judgment or the commentary around, around what's happening, and we go right into the direct experience of what's really happening. And often that's through the body, through seeing what's, a, what's, uh, what's arising in our bodies. 
Beautiful. Yeah, I guess it's sometimes, you know, and I do this and everyone probably does this, but we have um, a problem that that is a story and we think, okay, I know how to solve this problem. I'm going to make more stories and the more stories I make Mm. will solve. And it's just, it's it's a never ending cycle. The more and more I do this work, the more I see this tendency, it's just a human tendency that we have to fix our problems, fix our feelings, fix our stories, come up with a better story. And all of that is about a rejection of our current moment experience. So underlying that is an assumption like this moment is not okay as it is, and I need to fix something so that I have a better moment sometime in the future. And, um, when I really feel into it, it's hard. First of all, it doesn't work. And second of all, there's a harshness to it because we're we're rejecting the tender parts of our experience. Like if something, you know, if something that arises is like grief or anger or terror or, you know, for whatever reason that it arises, those are like gifts given to us, like tender parts of our human experience. And when we can turn to them with our loving attention and be like unconditionally welcoming of all of that, which is how consciousness is anyway, you know, consciousness, the formless, open spaciousness, vibration that's that's prior to all form, it's just sitting there going, yes, 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 to every, it doesn't reject anything. That's what oneness is or unity or non-division. And as soon as we start judging or fixing or figuring out, there's separation there. And there's a, there's a, a movement away from ourselves. So if we take our stand as conscious, consciousness, awareness, life, even the witness, if that makes more sense to people, we're, we're just here as this open awareness and then exploring what the qualities of that awareness are, just like being here, stability, openness, maybe silence, um, unconditional acceptance, because nothing's rejected. And that's just a, such a, a, a much more gentle and, for me, real way to be with our experience. And it just... It just minim. I see it all the time as in myself and other people. It just softens the suffering around it, and we can learn how to be with ourselves with um, care and tenderness. Yeah, yeah, and it sounds like what you're describing is is you know a, a true form of compassion, of being in that place of just listening and being present with, you know, if it's our suffering or a friend's suffering, but without wanting to solve it, just being that space to say, I'm here to listen to you, you know, we're going to share this experience now, I'm going to take as much of it as I can handle, um, you know, this, this difficult moments that you're going through. Exactly. And, you know, one of the um, uh, questions that you had mentioned is about, um, you know, um, influences on me and community and my spiritual friendships. Yeah. Um, that's, a, I guess, a label I would give, but I, I have wonderful um, places that I can go and just relax and be and be held and be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's human to, we have all kinds of human experiences, and I know we're kind of leaning into starting to talk about trauma, mm-hmm. um, all kinds of human experiences, and we're just vulnerable humans trying our best. Yeah. And, you know, to have places to go and community 
uh, it's, I feel is so essential on this path of freedom. And when I say freedom, I mean freedom from um, having our old conditioned patterns be the thing that's most alive for us right now. The more we bring our loving attention to these patterns and the, the parts of them, the elements of them, the body, the emotions, um, the more that we that we can soften with them, the more freedom we have for the here and now to be alive and creative and inspired and curious. When we're taken over by our patterns, they're very uh, self-focused. I see this in people all the time. It's like me, me, me. And I get it because it feels bad and we're trying to figure it out. Um, and as we bring the kind of attention to these patterns that I think really helps to soften them, there's an there's just openness that that is available to us so that we can actually live and we get what we want. You know, we want to feel happy and joyful and available to life and and appreciating beauty and and our loved ones. You know, you look in the eyes of a loved one and you like feel that, you know, we need openness and presence for those experiences. And that's what we all want. And the thing about that is it's here right now, always. It's about unveiling um, ourselves from these patterns that take us over so that we can see what's actually here right now. to this universality of, of suffering. And, and it's really beautiful the way you're describing it. And I think it's going to really resonate with a lot of people because it is so universal. You know, it's like we, that, that's kind of where our compassion comes from, that, that we can have empathy and, and connection. So could you talk a little bit more about this sense of community and this shared experience of suffering? Yeah. Um, I think community and doing this deep work, it's essential to do it in, in community and with groups. Um, you know, part of suffering is isolation, you know, and there's shame involved. There's something wrong with me. I can't be vulnerable with other people. It's not okay to share. It doesn't feel safe. And the medicine for all of that is safety. So there's a saying that, uh, Trauma, and when we speak about trauma, what I mean is like patterns that developed early on in our lives from whatever was going on in our families. It happens in the context of relationship. So the resolution or the healing also needs to happen in the context of relationship. And the relationship that's needed is one that's characterized by safety. So yes, um, people uh, suffering is what brings people to these uh, gatherings or even onto a spiritual path. Um, but there's plenty of people suffering out there that don't come. And, you know, what brings people in and what doesn't, I, I have no idea. You know, there's plenty of people suffering and they just don't know what to do or how to find their way and they're looking. And I have so much compassion for that. And the movement, I think, is just a blessing. You know, it's a divine movement that brings people to this path to explore, to get curious, to keep going deeper, to maybe be afraid, but like not let the fear deter 
deter them because there's a lot of fear that people experience around doing this deeper work, like really bringing their investigation and exploration into those um, tender places inside. And what I find is the most essential element is safety, a sense of safety. And um, I lead groups and uh, what I, I do my act, like I feel this so deeply in my own being, and I'm sure it comes from my own healing and, you know, what happened around that, um, to, to offer that safe space for people where they're welcome to be just as they are. And, it, and it's, it's amazing what happens, like magic happens in a community of people. Yes, they're suffering. Yes, they're interested in freedom. They want to be liberated. They don't want to be stuck in the suffering for the rest of their lives. They want to live and be alive in their lives and to have that be reinforced and to come together with other people who share that love and that desire in a place that feels very safe it's just it's incredible i think it's uh it's super valuable yeah i I feel as though it's perhaps something that we embraced more as a society uh you know in the past and like you said the um the, the culture gives us this myth of, you know, the, the rugged individual that can solve all their own problems. That's right. Um, but, you know, any, everything from, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous groups to different support groups to Sangha, you know, to, to a, a group of people that come together and meditate, like you said, is just mm-hmm. can be, uh, it's, it's, it's both a tender place to be held as a participant, but you're also holding the others, you know, and, uh, Exactly. In my own experience as a participant in groups like this and also offering them, the being there for others is so amazing. And it's like a secondary thing. Like first, when I started going to groups like this, I thought I'm going for myself, you know, for my own healing or my own, you know, um, spiritual path or whatever. And then, and eventually it it became such a, a beautiful um, heart opening for me to be able to offer to other people who are suffering. So it goes both ways and it's, it's beautiful in, in the mutual holding of that. Yeah. And I was going to a, um, a meditation group when I used to live in Philadelphia and, you know, some, some nights I would be like, well, I don't really feel like I need to meditate today. I did it this morning. I don't need to, but then I say, but if I go, you know, I'll be supporting others and we're all supporting each other by just sitting in stillness together. And so you, that, that transformation of service, you know, of, of, of not, you know, not doing it just to, to fix myself, but knowing that in, in, in this process and this flow of community healing, true healing can take place. And when that movement happens, that's an indication that there's more space in in the present moment. Because when you're so embroiled in your own suffering and trying to figure it out and just, you know, the the chronic nature of it and is am I, is this ever going to get better for me? It's very um uh, um, it's, it just draws us in and we can't see our way out of that. Yeah. So that when there becomes a movement like, oh, I can be there for other people, that's an indication of greater spaciousness here. Hmm. Yeah. And I see that in my own work. I see people who've been coming to my groups for a long time and they get to a point where they don't, they don't, um, uh, share anymore or they don't but they're there present and they're holding space for other people and that feels like a really important piece on their path mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and that spaciousness is also something that I think gets cultivated through meditation practice. Is is you know spaciousness in our moment to moment experience, mm-hmm. but a spaciousness in our sense of self and of of identity to to see ourselves as part of a collective. Um, and, you know, it, it's important to have personal identity at some points during your day. You know, but to kind of melt into the the collective and this again, you know, is tying into non duality as well. Some of the most exactly, and that's yeah. what happens. You know, to hold that personal identity with more softness or more freedom, or off sometimes eventually just as play. It's like you're playing as this person in the world. And um, and then uh, the the knowing that's behind that that that's not ex- actually who you are, you know. We get so many messages from our childhoods that um, constrict us around certain very limited ideas about who we are, and there can be a lot of pain around that. And um, to be able to explore those ideas and contemplate, like maybe this isn't true. Maybe there was something about me, and I'm thinking about the big me at this point, that was prior to all of that um, learning that took place early on in life. And to be able to untangle that, and that's where the sense of spaciousness and freedom begins to come in. Yeah, it, 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 it's a... It's a freedom maybe of identity that you can identify with the story of me when it's necessary. But, you know, when you're feeling sad or suffering, you can identify with the part of you that notices that you're feeling sad or suffering. The part of you that says, you know what, I felt better yesterday than I do today. Mm -hmm. So that, that sort of witness that's able to determine, okay, you felt good yesterday, but not feeling okay today. To learn to trust, trust that as your true nature. Absolutely. It's beautifully said. Yeah. So, you know, as you know, in Science and Non-Duality and um, the film that Zion Maurizio did with Gabor Mate a few years ago now, two years ago, um, the wisdom of trauma, this, this term trauma is everywhere seemingly in, in, in our communities and in our cultures, um, in the spiritual community. But still, I think there's... Um, you know, I, I, won't, I won't say spiritual bypassing, but there's a there's a reluctance to talk about trauma um, from some 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 teachers and some um, some traditions. But I, you know, I know in your work it's a big it's a big it's a big piece. And so, f- how for you do you think trauma is evolving as a concept uh, in in a spiritual practice or a practice of healing? Mm, I love that question. Um, I am absolutely thrilled about the. Um, the growing, uh, how, how this idea of trauma is growing in our culture and society. And I know the film was just incredible and had such a big role in that and continues to have a role in this view of everything as trauma-informed. And I'm at the point where I see everything now as trauma-informed. I can't unsee that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, 
it's such in, it's in our cultures, it's in our lineages, it's personal, it's it's everything. So be able so to be able to recognize like that's what's going on. It's it helps people make sense of their experience. Like oh, that's what's happening now. And um, and then that's the beginning of a journey to work with that. I see working with trauma, and when I say trauma, really my specialty is early trauma, so those patterns from uh, childhood that develop, it, I see it as a tool for awakening. So I don't see it as an endpoint in itself. I don't see it as let's get a better identity or let's fix this problem or, you know, I, nothing like that. It's, it's the exploration of our current moment experience. And if our current moment experience is one of shutdown or frozenness or a, mo- a lot of emotion or, you know, addiction, which is resisting emotions or, you know, challenges of any kind, relationship problems, we start where we are. And we look at like, okay, what's actually going on in our experience? And then oftentimes what happens is we identify parts that feel young. And then we want to understand like, okay, why did that part develop? What was going on back then in, you know, whatever age it was that, that, that got stuck? Because if, if we're talking to an adult here and now and somebody says, oh, this emotion feels young, I get really curious about that. Like, why is that young? Like, what happened and what's going on around that? But again, not to get too caught up in this story, although sometimes it's really valuable to tell the story just to get the understanding of why that emotion is there or that stuck place or a strategy that I use to try to function in life. Um, Like, why is all of that there? It's there for a reason and a reason that we bring a lot of compassion to because we needed, we needed to withdraw. We needed to people please. We needed to be aggressive. We needed to, you know, be a, a, a someone who seeks a lot of attention. It, it was functional back then. You know, as, as um, humans, we're very tied to our caregivers for, for years, for many years compared to other species. That relationship with our caregivers, especially when we're, we need complete care when we're infants and you know in the very early years those relationship with the parents are about survival they have to be there and and you know when people where those relationships are troubled we have we're it's it's like the it's terrifying for an infant or a very young child to have that be threatened so we come up with all these actually i think creative ways to try to stay connected you know what can i do so that i can be as safe as possible around here in this environment that doesn't feel safe at all, where I'm feeling something and I'm told not to feel it, where I'm punished, or I'm I walk into my house and there's complete chaos with, you know, parents on drugs or alcohol or whatever, uh, violence in the I mean all that stuff that happens. Like how do I manage? in this environment. And that's how we develop these limited trauma-based identities. And we we keep living them in our relationships, in our lives, you know, limited, shut down, not really fully available in life until we begin to take a look at them. And they don't miraculously, in my experience anyway, go away. We have to turn in and take a look and begin to untangle all of this in the here and now. Hmm. Yeah, that that phrase, the here and now and the present moment, is is so important. Uh, 
I think. And when you say, or the phrase I think you use is, is um, when we're feeling young, is that what you said? Um, it feels like a young part. Like if I'll like say to part. somebody like, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll actually ask the question, how young does that emotion feel or something like ah, that? Okay. Mm-hmm. And how, what are some signs that it, that it is a young emotion? Well, that it's there. <laughs> yeah. So pretty much, you know, any emotion that's there, that's, that's, that grabs your attention, that's, that feels stuck, that keeps mm-hmm. recurring, um, that those are all signs that it's an emotion that's that hasn't been completely sh- given the light of awareness to be liberated. That that's a language I okay. really like. Like we we give ourselves this open, spacious, loving awareness for these whatever wants to come to be liberated, and it comes because that's safe space for that for that liberation. It does it realizes, and this takes time. Uh, f- often for people, but it, 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 that emotion or that stuck part realizes like, okay, it's safe. I can begin to trust a little bit. I don't have to hold on so tightly. I can try a different way of relating to someone rather than people pleasing or pushing away or whatever. Hmm. Okay. So it's, it's emotions that maybe are, have been covered over with other things. So they're like, they're just not, like you said, they've, they haven't been shown the light of day. They're just kind of these yeah, like a, an addiction sense. is a good example of that, mm-hmm. because you know we get addicted to some substance or, or behavior of some kind, and then you know we keep going, and then there's all this stuff that happens in our lives around the addiction itself, right. and all that is is one gigantic smoke screen, so that we right. don't have to feel the emotion underneath it. Right. Yeah. All the layers of shame and self judgment and all of that. I tried to quit this addiction and I can't and I'm a loser for it and it's like it, it becomes a it's like a snowball <laughs> it and is and it's self-reinforcing yeah 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 how did you or how do you see this as a or how do you make the um the transition then to work with this in in the practices that you offer so you know like I guess my question is that these uncovering of of early traumas can could become like a um like a forensics case where you're trying to figure out all the different scenes and scenarios and people that you interacted with so how important is that versus just being present with what's what's being felt now in the body and how to work with with what's being present felt well the second part of what you said is is more important that's where the emphasis goes because that's in the here and now Mm -hmm. so taking a look at the story it often helps people just to make sense of what happened to understand Mm -hmm. it like oh that's why i feel the way i feel that's why i do what i'm doing that's not working for me but but just having that that like cognitive and and more than cognitive that felt experience of understanding why that's there but these practices and i want to say something about practices for me i like the word lifestyle because mm-hmm. it's not a practice you do to get somewhere to solve something it's like i love to be aware of what's happening in my body if there's an emotion present like i'm i'm on it to get like super curious about why it's there if i'm having trouble in a relationship of some kind like i want to put the mirror up so that i understand like what's happening in me that's contributing to that so it's it's a lifestyle that in the end is very joyful so 
yes, feelings are difficult and difficult, you know, there are losses, there is grief, there, all of that happens. So I don't want to paint this picture like, oh, it's, you know, light and joyful all the time. It's not the case. But the, the capacity, like developing the capacity to go in and recognize these parts of ourselves and, and um, understand them and take care of them and welcome them and love them, because really that's the essence of what's needed, being seen. My, my understanding at this point is that pretty much these stuck places across the board develop because they weren't seen. Like we were told, we're not allowed to have an emotion. We're not right. allowed to be the crazy kid we want to be. And and parts of ourselves aren't seen. So the seeing of these parts is essential by our, by other people and by a group and in the end by ourselves so that we can um, just have that be a way of being in life. It's it's vulnerable. It's, it's a little... Um, contrary to our culture you know culture can be harsh and divided and then you look at the world and it feels so divided right now and and there's a I, I feel that and I, I when I started this work I didn't I would never have said I'm sensitive and I'm way more sensitive like I feel things happening in the world and with other people and with myself and and it's hard and um this Kind of culture of vulnerability is is the antithesis of that and the medicine for it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, when you're describing the, the seeing of it and the, the illumination of it, it, it reminds me of this very common thing with children of like, you know, the fear of the dark basement. You know, you're terrified of the dark. You know, you don't know what's mm -hmm. out there. It's scary. But then once, you know, at some point, the par your parents maybe turn the lights on in the basement, you're like, oh okay, it's not so bad. There's some paint cans over there and a ladder over there. It's, you know, it's just a basement. And then that illumination um, inwardly of our past and our traumas, I guess, it takes time, obviously. It's not easy, but uh, maybe that soothes that child part of us that's afraid of these dark, unknown places. Absolutely. And I'm just, my mind is just going with metaphors right now about, you know, the mm -hmm. boogeyman under the bed or, right. you know, you think it's a snake, there's a, you're walking along, a, along yeah. a path and you think it's a snake and you realize it's actually a rope. And, you know, th there's, that speaks to the um, essential fear that's built into the human body and nervous system, like that animalistic nature, the, that primal part of our brains is just built for like to be vigilant, to be on guard, like fight or flight, and is, am I okay? Um, you know, and that's there in our bodies at, at physiologically at a very primitive level. And then we as humans have minds that create stories around all of that. And um, and that's to be honored, you know, that's, that's um, there for a reason in our human experience. But um, for deep happiness and freedom and, you know, we need to look beyond survival. So include all of that and look beyond as well to see like, okay, if I weren't just focused like in this tunnel vision on surviving, what else is possible? Mm. And then we open to, you know, uh, options, possibilities, silence, just being out of the box, like getting out of our comfort zone and seeing what else might be available. And that's, you know, right here now in the present moment. And then there's this like, you know, just passion for life. Yeah. Yeah, we can develop so much gratitude for 
you know, if, if we have the life circumstances to not be in survival mode all the time, you know, because there's billions, you know, of p people on the planet who are day to day still in that survival mode, like struggling to find mm -hmm. food and, and safety for, for themselves and their families. And we, you know, we can honor that part of ourselves and say, it's okay. You know, I don't need to be in survival mode right now. I've got yeah. food in the kitchen. There's, I mean, a heated house. Everything's okay right now. <laughs> And that kind of inquiry that you just went through, it's beautiful. It's like, because those old patterns, and when I say old, some for, it, ancient, like that survival thing, it just like, it, it's, it goes back to before we were humans. Yeah. Uh, so there's, there's something um, about that. And then we, we go, this is the value of the human mind. We go, wait a minute. Okay, I feel that tendency coming through me, and it feels really real. But that like time out, that wait a minute, oh, I'm okay. Right mm -hmm. now is okay. Right yeah. now, the whatever I'm scared of isn't actually here right now, mm -hmm. and it's um, really valuable inquiry around that. Yeah, and something you mentioned earlier that I think a lot of people feel is is the the dividedness and the the escalation of constant change of, you know, pandemics and war and um, inequality and all of these things that, um, you know, when we, when we uh, activate the light of awareness, we become aware of that as, as, as an interconnected species. And um, I'm wondering if you have any sort of advice or, um, or, or ways to deal with that, to witness that, to be with that, um, to be with that interconnectedness of of suffering, you know, environmental collapse, I didn't mention, all of these things that we're all going through together. That's right. Yeah, I think it's a, a question on everyone's minds these days because we can easily go into overload mm -hmm. with it. And I think everyone has their own uh, amounts that they can tolerate and then defenses come up and I need to go away. And, and that's what I... Um, recommend for people is to stay attuned. Like, how am I doing with this? And not and and when I say stay attuned to what's happening in emotions in the body, but also the shoulds. Like, is there something going on? Like, I should be aware of this, or I should, um, you know, do something about it. And you know, and just to welcome all of that, but like let it kind of sift through, so that we can um, know like what's our right path with that. Like, and that goes to deep listening. You know, like oh, I'm in overwhelm right now. Okay, it's okay to take a break, to not read the news, to you know do something that's that's fun that you enjoy and to feel good. There's nothing wrong with that, and to let ourselves be uh, connected to. Um, all that's going on as humans and the, as you say the interconnectedness of that as it feels right there's something about witnessing all that suffering that feels um right to me i don't know i the the thing i relate that to in my own life is when i my parents were um you know at the point of dying and aging and dying and 
you know, I would try to fix it and you should do this and your life would be better if you only did that. And then I realized none of, they weren't taking up any of those suggestions. So I realized my, my role was witness, just mm -hmm. like the loving wit, not to turn away, not to distract myself, not to fix, but just to be there as a presence. And I think that's, that's what's being asked for in our, um, in our world right now by and dosing that you know as much as we can tolerate and taking breaks as that's necessary yeah that, that's very good very important So I wanted to um, to ask about community, to, to ask about your community, the uh, the coming home together online gathering, and uh, just that phrase coming home together. You know, we we talked a little bit before about the sort of witness consciousness and the the um, the peace and the healing and the tranquility that can come from sitting together in a group. Um, so. Would you mind talking a bit about this group, and uh, maybe we, you know, we'll, we'll have links to it in the show notes if people are interested in joining. Yeah, it's at this point a once a week group, and um, sometimes I do uh, longer courses of a few days. And um, you know, one of the, you know, as I said before, it's like a, a field of safety for people. Um, but. Another aspect of it, I think, it that's like kind of embedded in it is relationship, because relationship with one another, because that's a topic that often comes up. That's an area where if we have remaining, um, you know, conditioning that hasn't been worked through, it's going to show up in our relationships, and we get to learn how to relate to one another, how to listen how to be with our own experience as we're listening, when we might be triggered by what someone else says, um, how to speak from our own experience vulnerably. So that's another aspect of what happens there. Um, I like to have a theme, so mm -hmm. I always um, have a title of some kind. And, you know, sometimes it is relationship or the mind or uh, emotions or you know, freedom and just whatever I feel like in the moment. And um, uh, so I just lead a guided meditation and then there's mm -hmm. time for Q&A at the end and I'll talk about something. Mm, beautiful. That's a great offering. Yeah. Yeah. And and you mentioned listening, which is a, a huge topic and a big part of, of this work is developing that capacity um, to listen non-reactively to other people and, and also yeah. to ourselves. Absolutely to ourselves and even within ourselves, asking that question, like, what am I listening to? Because if we don't um, bring our exploration to our own experience, we're going to listen to the mind because mm -hmm. that's like the, the go-to place. We don't, 
I think naturally most of us don't just get quiet and meditation and then listen to how life wants to move us. We listen to what our minds are telling us. And like I said in the very beginning when I was meditating and I realized how much judgment and negativity was in my mind, that's what I was listening to. That's what was informing my relationships with myself and with other people. So this question, like, what am I listening to is really valuable. And, and just to see, like, if I listen to my, what my thoughts are telling me about myself, about the world, not to trust, I'm not okay, then, you know, just to, to recognize that that's what's going on and that becomes our lived reality. And then there's another kind of listening that's possible, which is to get quiet and, and to not know, to being the in the unknown, to be open and available to whatever comes with a willingness there. There's a, a Hebrew word that I'm really loving these days. It's called hineni, and it means I am available. I am here. Here I am. And that's that's like and that's it. You're you're empty and available to what wants to come through. And I um I love that deep listening. I mean, we can that can be our practice in life, our way of living life. Mm, beautiful. Yeah, I love this this path, this um well, I know you use this phrase pathless path, which I like that too. But this path of listening because in our society, you know, with the constant media, the constant overload of our senses, we never, you know, get the opportunity or many people don't get the opportunity to even listen to their inner voice. And yeah. so, like you said, it's a, it's a process of, okay, listening to that inner voice. Um, and I know for me, like, I forget where I heard this, maybe from Eckhart Tolle or somebody like, you know, if we were to speak out loud all the things that are going on in our heads, after a few days, we'd be like, you know, you kind of talk about the same thing over and over and over mm -hmm. and over again. And if we were, you know, having tea with a friend and they kept repeating the same fr phrases over and we'd be like, look, I get it, man. You gotta, you gotta let that go. You keep exactly. talking about this over and over again. I know you want to get this job, and you're gonna try to, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we keep repeating to ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that that path of listening can allow us to kind of see that and be like, oh, okay, I've been repeating these phrases over and over again. Maybe it's time to let them go and mm -hmm. sink into this deeper, deeper listening that you're talking about. Exactly. And what's required yeah. for that, for, from what I see, is slowing down. Yeah. We can't keep going at our regular speed in our lives with our to-do list and we're ahead of ourselves and got to get this done and got to be here and do that. Yeah. It, it, there's no space for that. So yeah. that the slowing down a meditation practice, although I don't say, oh, people should meditate, but that any, any way of getting quiet and, and giving space to ourselves to actually be and stop all the doing for a while and just let this being become very familiar with us because then it eventually takes over. Mm -hmm. And then the doing can happen in the context of the being. Right. And then it's it's very integrated and alive. Yeah, it, be it becomes sort of a, an embodied intuitive space that we can access like, you know, being able to always ride a bike. Like you don't need to think about and analyze how to ride a bike. You just sit down and move your feet and you're moving, <laughs> you know, you're, exactly. you're riding along. Yeah. That's a great example. Cause there's, there's being there and then there's, mm -hmm. there's flow. It yeah. was like, it's like being in and with the flow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And being the flow itself. eventually. <laughs> yeah. And the, the only, the other thing that came to mind with the listening is the way that we 
listen to our favorite music. Like if we're at a concert and we really, you know, it's like, um, if it's new music that we haven't heard before or stuff that we love, you know, we, we sit still, you know, with stillness. And if we're at like, a, it's, if it's a concert hall setting where everyone's seated, that stillness and attention we bring to that musical experience to, to listen deeply within ourselves with that same quality can be, uh, and bringing yeah. that to everything, because life is always an array of objects coming, going, moving around, people, yeah. things, everything. And then that like deep listening is that stability that's always available, mm. underlying yeah. everything. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it was um, today, one year ago, that Thich Nhat Hanh passed. Mm. And he talks about this deep listening. He has a book, Silence, where he talks about these different ways of deep listening. So. Yeah. It's, it's nice to honor Thich Nhat Hanh on this, on this I, day. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and, you know, the um, the noise, like, of the mind and the concert or whatever, it's not in opposition. It's not noise versus silence. Right. It's like silence is the ground and everything arises from that. Mm. It's very, uh, you know, John Cage, the, the piece 433, the silent piece. Do you know that piece of music? I don't. Oh, it's um, it's from the. I think he he premiered it in the fifties, and it's basically four minutes and thirty three seconds. And the pianist walks out on stage with the sheet music, puts it on the piano, and sits down and shuts the lid of the piano and sits there in silence for four minutes and thirty three seconds. And at the time, it was very controversial. People said this is a gimmick. It's it's you know, but it was really informed by his love of Zen Buddhism and and emptiness. Mm -hmm. And the concert became the rough you know the people shuffling in their chairs or the birds chirping outside or the rain or, you know, and that became the space for the music. Mm -hmm. It was it was you know, mm. yeah. Wow, beautiful <laughs> reality that silence is the ground of being and everything comes from that, everything in form comes from that, can inform every moment of our daily lives. So not, and again, there's not a should here, like it should, but like words come from silence, actions come from silence. And there, that creates the possibility of, of, of consciousness around all of that and intention. And, you know, like how do we show up in any moment for ourselves, for other people and whatever is happening in our lives. And, you know, it's that, that's, it's a beautiful invitation to kind of hold it that way. Like, uh, everything emerges from this silence. Good. It was a really, it was really, um, yeah, it was a beautiful conversation from my perspective. I really enjoyed mm -hmm. it. Grateful to share. I feel very, uh, like you say, no distance, you know, with you and um, appreciate your questions and your interest. And I feel that in you. Um, thank you. And thank you for listening to The Sounds of Sand. We invite you to explore more of our talks, dialogues, videos, articles, events, and offerings through our website, scienceandnonduality.com. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please consider becoming a member to access our massive library of SAND content, available exclusively to SAND members. And we would love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google, and Spotify and share this episode with your family, friends, and all sentient beings.
be well.